Hello and welcome to the Where We Left Off podcast. I'm your host, Austin Gall, here with my co-host, Tommy Hanlon. The two of us have been working together for more than 10 years in the music industry, from managing a DIY venue to traveling the Midwest throwing parties. We've met some pretty interesting people along the way. This podcast is dedicated to conversations with artists and road dogs we form friendships with and see time and time again. We pick up where we left off. So had a little bit of a break, but we're back. Stuff uh, just got a little busy there for <laughs> not only me, but Tommy, so... Decided to take a couple extra days off from the pod. We eventually found our way back to it, so we're we're back today. But uh, Tom, what's up? Did you get your uh, Did you get your stimmy check yet? No, I still am dealing with the wake of my accountant putting in the wrong address. So I'm waiting on mine to be mailed to me for a few more days, hopefully. So it'll be there. I I'm d- just crossing my fingers. <laughs> I didn't get my first one or my my second one right away because they sent it to my old address, and I since I moved. Like, I didn't get it right away, so had to go through that whole fucking battle. So I feel I, your pain. I know I wasn't a... asked, but you know I typically get my stimulus checks about three months after they come out. Yeah, well, well, if you're hearing that voice, that this is our guest today, Rick Rick Carson. But uh, let's dig in. We've got Rick Carson on the on the podcast today of Make Believe Studios, someone who we both have known for a number of years, multi Grammy nominated producer, mixer, engineer, right here out of Omaha. Even though I'm not in Omaha right now, but Rick has worked with a lot uh, with a lot of huge artists. Um, you know, some of the biggest names in in several industries: Nipsey Hussle, you know, Jay Prince. A Day to Remember, Terrence Martin, Al City, AWOL Nation, so many more. The list could go on for a very long time. But beyond that, Rick is someone who I've personally known for almost 10 years now, looking back on it. I've known him for a long time. And he's always been super welcoming, super nice, always down to talk about music. He was one of very few people in Omaha that I believe from a young age was going to do huge shit. And, you know, he was already doing huge shit when I met him. So it was just, like, awesome to see him kind of go on this this fucking huge rise. But uh, extremely proud to call the dude a friend, you know, not of what he's because of what he's done, but he's just a fucking awesome dude. But, you know, over the years, I spent a little time at the studio, whether it's uh, attending invite only garden parties that Rick would throw uh, in the courtyard of the studio and have Curly Martin playing with some of Omaha's best jazz musicians inside or just stopping by to see some friends that, you know, were there to track a record. It's been really fun to kind of watch him burst onto the national scene and and become a mainstay in that in that world. You know, working like I said with some of the biggest artists in the game. So, Tommy, I know you have a long long history with Rick as well. So, give me <laughs> give me your background on how you know Rick as well. Yeah, I uh, met Rick back in like again like almost ten years ago now, like 2011 or 2012, um, when he was in the old Baseline Studio down on like 10th. Um, which I think we all have some fun stories from to dive into later on. Um, but yeah, to see where he is now and, and what he's accomplished is mind blowing. Not to say it's not undeserved. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked to dive in more and hear about um, how you came to land in Omaha and uh, the studio side of music a little more. I think a lot of fans don't always get to hear or see that um, as in depth. Yeah. So yeah, totally agree too. So let's bring him in. He's already kind of he already jumped in on our stimulus comment, but let's bring him in. Rick, how the fuck are you, man? Good to see your face. I'm doing all it's, right. How are you guys doing? It's good to see dude, you guys as well. Dude, I I say that every time that we have a podcast that it's good to see your face because I one I haven't seen anybody in like a year. Now it's been a year now, 
and two i don't think i've seen you for like longer than that i think it's been like at least three or four so really good really good to be back face to face with with you man what so i mean let's 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 catch up with rick quick before we get into the uh into the podcast what's what's been going on for you during quarantine is generally the first question that we fucking ask everybody because that's what you've been up to lately trying to adjust to this new normal so i mean what's What's the haps with you? I know you've just been kind of working, you know, on music, obviously, since that's your world and you haven't probably stopped doing that. But what's new for you? What's been going on? Kind of give us the lowdown. I've been working on tons of music and uh, making records and then also, you know, trying to keep the studio going and make sure that, you know, we can weather the pandemic storm, which, you know, has been a journey in and of itself. And then... um, you know myself and uh dan thompson and the other guys at make believe and the company metric halo based out of florida have officially linked up in a partnership where we're designing some new plugins and some new audio interfaces for the world so we've been working very very heavily on those and um we're about to head down to florida and finalize some of our designs and you know get ready to release some of those to the world and we uh we locked in our first official license where we locked in the rights to manufacture a digital version of a very, very famous piece of hardware and will, you know, be the only company with the rights to use the name and the likeness of that piece of gear. So, That's you awesome know, shit. trying to um, progress, you know, um, yeah, in this yeah. game a little bit, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy because we've talked not only to musicians, which is the majority of who we've talked to in this podcast, but we've also talked to Nathan Richardson, who owns Relentless Merch. We've talked to a photographer in Randy Edwards. You know, it's it's crazy to kind of hear all these different perspectives of people that kind of exist in the music world, but have different you know roles in what goes on. You know, in terms of music. So, I mean, obviously, you've adjusted it sounds like you've adjusted pretty well. You know, you're kind of trying to get some new things going other than just recording music and, and doing that, and which you've done for a long time. You know, we'll get into that here too. But I mean, do you feel like you've had, um, do you feel like the quarantine time has been productive for you? Um, no. And how is it? And how has it changed? I mean, obviously, like I said, we've talked to like all these different people from all these different aspects, but I mean, what's changed the most for you? Well, um, travel, travel, travel has changed. You know, we, we had a lot of people coming from all over the world to record at make believe for the past couple of years. And that stopped, you know, um, pretty much instantly. And I was traveling a lot more and don't get me wrong. I did spend a, a large chunk away from make believe during quarantine. I was gone for the better part of five months, but it was really like one plane there and then i stayed there i wasn't like hopping planes the way you know i mean i would fly into somewhere be there for 24 hours and fly out the next day to go somewhere else you know right um and it's just i am not moving in that way anymore you know so that's probably like the biggest thing for me that's changed but i'm trying to figure out how to get back to there because i've got you know i've got to be in several places right i feel you on that even (laughs) just like as like you know outside of just making business happen for yourself like when you kind of have that lifestyle and you get used to it it's just nice to like roam around a little bit and see something different and the changing scenery and everything and like 
getting to slowly start to do that as things open up again is, is yeah it's nice to finally stretch the legs you know yeah i haven't left this city in like five months so i envy whoever <laughs> i envy whoever's being able to travel outside of wherever they are but i mean rick let's let's dig in let's dig in here i want to hear your full story from start to finish because i don't i've never sat down with you and learned you know where you come from what your what your musical upbringing was like i i feel like i've never had that conversation with you so i'm really excited to dig into this today but i mean let's let's just dig in there let's i mean we know you kind of came at from the detroit michigan area you went to full sale audio engineering then kind of wound up in omaha to start make believe but fill in some of the gaps you know talk about talk about your your upbringing in terms of music getting out of where you were and landing in omaha um Okay, well, you know, I, you're right. I did. I originally hail from Detroit, Michigan, um, and I was born in a city called Pontiac. It's weird, you know. I always tell the story like this. Do you guys remember a, an Omaha band called Haven Twenty One? Oh, of course. Yeah, some like yeah. Mike is a great friend of mine. Totally. Do you know Christian Skirmont? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So the story goes like this. You know, when I came to Omaha, you know, I'll I'll tell a little bit how I got to coming to Omaha. But me and Christian Skirmont pretty much changed lives. So I ended up in Omaha pretty much 20 days later than when he moved to Detroit. So he left Omaha to go to Detroit. And I moved actually from Chicago. Well, I was in Colorado. I moved from Colorado to Omaha. But what ended up happening is I ended up in Christian's group of friends here in Omaha. And he ended up in my group of friends in Detroit. <laughs> Trading places. And, <laughs> and pe- everyone would be like, oh, you're from o- Omaha? I have a buddy who just moved to Omaha. And he's like, I keep That's hearing hilarious. that. And then I'd be like, yeah, I'm from Detroit. And they're like, I have a friend who just moved to Detroit. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in Michigan and, um, I played in local bands out there and that's where I got my first inkling of what it was like to go make a record or be involved in the record making process. And, um, after I saw that for the first time, I was like, all right, I think I can go about doing that. So I actually left high school when I was 16 years old and, um, I... Uh, through a little fault in the education system in Florida at the time. Um, You know, in Michigan, you weren't allowed to get a GED until after the year that you were supposed to graduate. So I was supposed to graduate in 2007, which means that they wouldn't allow you to take your GED until the 2008 year. And the reason why is because they wanted to discourage people graduating because a lot of people say they're going to drop out and then go get their GED and then they never fucking do it. So they wanted to discourage people from dropping out. At least, you know, you can't get your GED until after the year you're supposed to actually graduate. So what I did was I became a dual citizen with Italy and then I fucking um, flew, (laughs) flew down to Florida where my mom lived and at Piper High School, which was by my mom's house, that's where Marilyn Manson went to high school. Um, they had this program for immigrants because they deal with like a lot of Cuban people and stuff like that, where if you hold another passport, you can come in and take a high school equivalency, which isn't a GED. Um, and how it works is you take a test and then they tell you how far off you are from a, a high school senior. And then if you like suck at math or language arts or something like that, then you may have to do a bunch of math and language arts for the next couple months in night school and then you can go take your high school equivalency test but i just i passed the first one and then i went and i got 
to take the second one about a month later. So I left my sophomore year of high school and I started at Full Sail within about three months. Yeah. So was the Italy thing just so you could yeah get the high that's like such an elaborate elaborate plot to get <laughs> out of just finishing the rest of your high school like how much school did you get out of like a year or two years uh well i was like you said 16 so like well people... i was like a couple months into my sophomore year of high school holy shit so you like skipped like two years of high... so that's like kind of well, two it. and a half years yeah, yeah two and a half years like I, if it was like a year i was like wow that's elaborate just to like get out of the end of your <laughs> high school but yeah but <laughs> like... it wasn't really that hard either though because like they've opened up um you know like the, yeah, citizenship to huh. Italians like pretty easily. So I was, you know, how it worked is like I went and got, you know, um, my uncle, my great great grandfather's Ellis Island papers. What's up, Justin? <laughs> Hold on one second. <laughs> Pause, please. So I went and got my grandfather's Ellis Island papers from my aunt Phil, who's like super old. She's like the matriarch of our family. And um, she uh, she was married to my, my great uncle Shorty, who was my grandfather's brother. And she had their, you know, naturalization papers, which means that they or they came in in 1910 which is when they came through ellis island and then my grandfather was born in 1918 and then my great-grandfather renounced his citizenship and became an american citizen in 1920 so since my grandfather was born on american soil as an italian before my great-grandfather gave up his citizenship it passed down through the whole bloodline so like i literally just had to show show up with a couple pieces of paper and they're like hey welcome to being an italian you know which is cool because like i can go live and work in any of the eu countries if i want to do that um but dude we're getting the full rick carson history yeah i didn't know that part of it that was i had never like i feel like i'm not only learning something about rick but i'm learning something about his family too this is like an educational journey here. yeah I love it. learned your italian makes sense why you're hanging out down like little italy little bohemia <laughs> you're just drawn to that area no i just yeah i mean i liked it over there but yeah that's uh well i guess let's uh talk about uh how did you come to like come into the baseline space down on 10th and hickory how how did that all come about um you know, I which got... if you're if you're not from Omaha, the, the the area that they're talking about right now is is historically an Italian area of town. It's down just like it's it's technically considered south downtown. It's a great little spot along the river. Um, little Bohemia is like right there as well. I mean, it's a great area. There's a lot of a ton of like old culture, old Italian culture. It's a really cool area. Ton of great restaurants. If you're not from Omaha, that's what they're talking about. Just just so we have some context there. Yeah, um, I heard that it was for lease, you know, I heard that Tim Sitch, who had it at the time, was interested in leasing it, and I called him, and he's like, yeah, I actually literally just finished writing up a lease, and I was like, oh, well, I'll come see it, and, you know, I signed up for it literally on the spot, you know, I was making records out of what was affectionately known as the castle then, Mm -hmm. you know, so, um... Yeah, I took that spot over, and I was there for three years. And and how did you guys know you were, you had outgrown the space? Like, I know 
right when I met you was kind of when you were slightly thinking about transitioning out of there and you were looking at renovating. It was just too much. So, well, you know, there's a couple different reasons why. Well, one is like, um, my career had gone in a different path where everybody knows this now. Like I work on a lot of records from outside of Omaha. I, I mix a lot of records. I master a lot of records. Um, and I will also travel and stuff like that. And that was a one room facility, you know? And, um, I wanted to set up a proper mix space and we had the SSL in there in the tracking space at the time because I was in there, you know, and mostly it ended up being like, I was mixing like all night long and then people would come in and track during the day and then I'd mix all night long because it was like a one room facility. And what we found is that if you wanted to renovate more than 30% of the space, you had to bring that space up to the American with Disabilities Act standards. And um, I don't know if you guys remember going in that space, but it was like... It was not very friendly. It was like (laughs) a a jungle gym of stairs, you know? Yeah, yeah, The 70s loved their multi-level Yeah, so like there was... That that studio was fucking awesome. You're right, Tommy. It had like 70s vibes all the way. I loved when I would come to visit friends when we were... Like when they were in the studio, because there was always such an awesome energy in there too, you know? I mean... Still to this day, I think if you went back in there, I could probably pick out a couple places where I had like a good laugh or two. Like that, there's just so much good energy in that place. Yeah, and like I have some bad vibes from that space because you know I was going through breaking up with a business partner at the time as well. You sure. know, um, but it was one of those things where it's like I love the space for what it was. There were some things that were absolutely terrible about it and i know that some people remember i don't know if you guys either one of you had the pleasure of smashing your head on the super solid brick wall that was right above the couch um (laughs) but that's you know very fondly remembered from all of the people here at make believe because everybody sat on that couch at one point and like got a phone call and stood up and just smashed their shit so um yeah but I, you know, we looked into what it would cost to fully renovate that space. You know, um, there was a basement there and dealing with that could have involved getting an elevator put in if it really went down to it. And it just like, it started like really outweighing it, you know? Um, so we decided to build a new space and i really like the studio that we built i mean i know it's different it's definitely not a 70s vibe as that oh no it's way more streamlined which is what you want out of a studio it's a useful like utilitarian space that still is gorgeous like yeah for me it's just super comfortable and fun and i like it and i can like turn the lights off and change the colors and (laughs) oh it didn't work yeah oh there we go yeah change the colors boom Get a vibe, oh, like a real vibe. Yeah, not only do you have like this really cool recording space at the at the new studio, but like it, it has such a modern vibe to it that like it's amazing, dude. When I, I remember visiting the this, and we'll get into this here in a second, you know, the new studio. But I remember visiting, you know, your new spot that you have now for the first time and just being like blown away at like the tracking room and like the tracking room was like half done at the point. I remember like visiting for the first time; it was like wasn't even completed, but like the whole vibe of your new studio is so modern and like relaxing. You know what I mean? It's exactly what I would expect from like, from like a, a big time studio, like, like yours is. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, it's weird. Cause, um, if you go to a lot of like, 
big time studios to be honest they're way fucking nicer than this place a lot of them are some of them are shittier uh, but a lot of them are nicer than this place and i'm not gonna hate on that you know i try and have this place feel somewhere between like your house and a nicer house you know i don't want it to feel so uncomfortable that people wouldn't want to put their feet up there's a lot of recording studios that you go into that it's like sterile <laughs> well, it borders on dentist office for yeah. me you know <laughs> yeah sure somewhere where you wouldn't feel comfortable like making a record well yeah and it's it's weird like i um you know and this is gonna sound like all fucked up and snooty but like i feel like when i'm in places like that i actually hear shit differently you know, um, sure. if I feel like the vibe is I'm about to get my teeth drilled, then kind of everything that comes out of the speakers makes me feel like I'm about to get my fucking teeth drilled, you know? So I don't want to feel like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, I, I mean, taking that into account, like what you just said, I mean, heading into the new space, which you've been in for, I believe, like six, seven years now, right? Uh, yeah, we officially opened it in 2016. So this will be five years open. Oh, dang. So going into, you know, this new studio, I mean, like, what was the mindset behind, like, the build-out for it? I mean, did you, I mean, obviously you had at least some say in it, but did you hire someone to kind of come in and, like, design, or kind of tell us about that process? Yeah, so I hired a few different people, um, but they were all, it was a, it was a team effort, so... The main acoustic designer was a guy named Roger Vay, and the reason why I hired him was because he'd redesigned the power station when they decided to duplicate that studio and build another version of it out in Connecticut. Um, I, He was the person that they hired to do that, and I was like, well, you know, if I want to build a classic American recording studio, I want to start with someone who's built a classic American recording studio before. And what I mean by that is, like, Recording studios are different depending on who designed them. You know, French recording studios and German recording studios and British recording studios, they're different. And then when you get into like a certain area in the 80s, there's things that are very similar about them. And then they diverge a little bit more in the you know 90s and 2000s, depending on how they were designed. And then America has some things that were like very, very American about their recording studios, you know, all the way from the 40s up until the 80s. And then really what ended up happening was a dude named Tom Hidley. So Tom Hidley, um, this is where it gets weird. Tom Hidley owned Westlake Acoustics and Westlake, you know, studios, which were studios out in Los Angeles. And he did a bunch of rooms. So when you look at a bunch of those old 70s recording studios, they all look pretty familiar. You know, you look at the record plant Solacito and you want to know what it fucking looks like? It looks like the old make-believe because that was a Westlake room. But at some point, he decided to move to london or somewhere over in europe and he opened up east lake so glenn phoenix his business partner kept making studios over here under westlake and then he made a bunch of studios over there so like that's what i'm saying in the 80s like they kind like if you look at the manor studios which was richard branson's studio out in the uk at his big old countryside manor you know that looks a lot like the old make-believe because that was right right you know that was a tom hidley room you know yeah. um but our room here, interestingly enough, was actually not designed by Glenn or fucking um, Tom. It was designed by a dude named Brett Theany. And Brett Theany finished our room up and then immediately opened up his own company called Boho Designs. And you want to know what the first studio he built was? What's that? 
You got one, Austin? I don't know. I was thinking, but I, I, I don't I have no idea. Paisley Park, which looks oh, okay. a oh, lot really? like the old make-believe. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That's, that's crazy. So, you know, there's very, and like, there's American-ass things about recording studios. There's European-ass things about recording studios. And I wanted to build an American recording studio. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. Well, speaking of the old one, before before we move on from it, one of my favorite memories of going down there, and I think it was like one of the first times, we were going from like the studio to the store which was like up the street and it was like three blocks but you and it was like nighttime but you were just like we're gonna walk up to the studio and he was just you're just like uh and when we passed like hugo just don't look him in the eye and i had no idea what the fuck you meant we're like walking down the street and there's just giant dude like looked like he was seven feet tall and like built out of nothing but muscle and i was like oh like and i like didn't want to make eye contact and he just like stared us down the whole time so it's funny you like speak of vibes because i'm sure yeah you had some like not Super great weird vibes, vibes dude. <laughs> like yeah, yeah talk so, like, about there was, being in little there was this guy was that we called <laughs> we didn't call him hugo we called him geronimo geronimo <laughs> i was like something like with an o i was like i don't remember um, it was huge but oh, if you could picture this guy he was just like nine feet tall and he wore gray wife beaters and black basketball shorts and he had his hair slicked back and a ponytail every day and he was fucking like Rich, like dude, like his arms wouldn't come flat. Like this is flat for that motherfucker, dude. And he clearly had something mentally wrong with him. And I don't know what it was, whether it was drugs or something. I wasn't trying to get into that shit. And there were it was weird because his family owned the two houses that butt up against the studio. And anybody who's ever been in that studio for a long period of time has like ran into this family. And like it's it's very polarizing because like. You know, um, some of the people clearly have issues, and then other people from the family are just, like, the nicest people in the <laughs> like world. Like, overcompensating for the Well, others. no, it's not even like that. It's like, you know, um, you got Geronimo, and then you got his dad, and his dad is, like, you've probably, if you've ever been in Little Italy, you've seen, like, an Italian man who's, like, clearly kind of fat, but he's, like, 100% dressed up in, like, biker's nylons, riding around on a fixed-gear bicycle, like he's a race car, like a racetrack bicyclist. Like, that's his dad, dude. You know, he's, like nice as hell and super cool and you know rides his bike and shit but this dude literally stands on the corner there in that neighborhood and just like fucking mean mugs everybody yeah dude and i remember i i remember i remember who you're talking about too because like i used to come down to the studio as like as a pretty young kid you know i was like in my you know and i'm gonna preface this with i grew up in the suburbs so like i was not like ready for anything outside of the suburbs when i moved into the city finally it was like a whole new world for me i remember like going down there and seeing that guy like going is that guy gonna rob me like i hope not yeah and like here's the thing is like he actually never did anything to the studio people except for threaten the shit out of them, yeah you know yeah so like yeah. he'd like walk around and like he'd like if someone caught eyes with him he'd be like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just don't look at him in the eye and you would and, avoid uh, most problems um the dude who we got we had a buddy who like used to supply us with a couple of vending machines and he um he was like one of the benson crowd kids but he owned some vending machines and he put them in the studio and fill them with dunkaroos for me it was tight you know and <laughs> and him and geronimo got into it dude and i came out like i'm just hearing yelling and like what the fuck are you talking about and i come out and geronimo's just like you will burn in the pillars of hell like Jesus. just fucking <laughs> losing his shit dude 
Yo, <laughs> Italian so people, man. I don't even know if he is Italian. You know, um, he definitely could oh, be. Okay. He, yeah, he he lived. I think he was Italian. Um, yeah. Yeah, his dad was. Yeah, he's Italian. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, sounds what? Italian, dude. That, yeah, that, I'll be real. That dude scared the shit out of me. Oh, dude, yeah. The first time I saw that dude, like after a while, you're just like, okay, he's just there. It's like a dog that you like, you know, the, the dog in the neighborhood that like barks at you, but you're like, okay, as long as they're, you're like over there, I'm, I'm cool. But like, oh my god. Dude, yeah. it was intense. Super intense. So, I mean, the big piece of news around the Make Believe uh, Records brand, I mean, brand has been your work with A Day to Remember recently, which you just mentioned. And congrats, by the way. I think we probably should have mentioned that at the top of the episode. But a lot of us in Omaha have been seeing this happen for a long time. And to see it released now, we're all super proud of you, man. Like, it's crazy to see all the success coming with it. I know you worked extremely hard on it. You've put a lot of hours into it. But I want to talk about it for a little bit. So, I mean, it's a huge deal. I mean, the, the new album, You're Welcome, just peaked at number three on the Billboard charts, which is a massive accomplishment in our day and age with how music is being consumed getting to number three on that chart is a it's a huge deal i mean how does it how does it feel to be up there yet again with a yet another record i mean we're kind of just like hyping you up here but i mean does it does it feel especially during like this pandemic time does it feel any different having something chart that high um i just think it's cool you know anytime that something like that happens it's just like it's fucking tight you know and um it was nice to be able, like, I'm talking to all those dudes because we're friends. We're talking about, like, different shit. Like, I've invested into GameStock, and Josh is invested into GameStock. So, like, me and Josh are, t- like, talking about GameStock, you know? And it's just like, oh, congrats, right. <laughs> by the way, you know? Um, or, like, gives me a reason to hit up Jeremy. Uh, me and Neil talk a lot. So it's, like, it's just, like, it's nice that people are listening to these songs, you know? Right. Um, it's nice that even though people can be upset and vocal about the fact that they really wanted, you know, a heavy record, there's people who have found and embraced this record for what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And don't get me wrong, there's definitely fucking heavy songs on the record. Um, but there are songs that I absolutely adore that are not heavy songs, yeah. you know? And... I think it's really great for a band like that to continue to search and continue to try. Especially on your seventh album. Like, you don't want to just make seven of the same album. And I think that's what Austin and I were kind of looking through some of the reviews of the album, too, before this. And, like, that's what we were seeing. All of the reviews had that filter of, like, it wasn't their last album. It wasn't this album. And it's like, it shouldn't be. It should be something new. It should breathe new life into their catalog. And, like, I think it really did. And, And... a lot of those singles, I think, surprised people, and I think that's why a lot of like the kind of uh, you know hardcore community, especially, like focused on that part of it. It was like it's not this hardcore album from this band that yeah. we grew up with, but it's like the band grew up too, and the sound should. And I think it's a really great album. Yeah, and I want to. I mean, I love the record. I want to preface this question with that. I love the record. I think we, we talked about this the other day, and I've taken a couple listens since, and. And looked at it with like a, a new lens, you know, I mean, it's and I and I exist within, you know, the scenes that they they grew up in, you know, like older pop punk and like metalcore was like my my favorite genre of music, you know, since I was a kid. I mean, this record had a ton of hype around it, too. It was so highly anticipated. So I want to talk about how you've dealt with some of that, um, you know, what has been said about the record in the press and through some of the older fan base. I mean, like I said, this this record exists in a space half full of metalcore kids and pop punk kids who are inherently judgy and don't like change, you know, speaking as a former 
as a former you know member of that community i guess i still am a, a member of that community i still listen to that stuff frequently but i mean it's you know there, there's always a lot to be said about a day to remember uh, day to remember records you know as history dictates because they've grown through each and every single one of their releases which artists should do um but i mean is it hard to deal with some of that chatter even though the record is performing extremely well in the charts does it does it bum you out at all that people are just won't like look at things from like a different perspective and be like hey this band is like putting out really quality music still no 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 band is going to put out the same record seven times in a row or you know like well it's it's it... one of those things where like you know you got to kind of learn how to filter out all that shit cuz like one if there aren't haters then people aren't paying attention to what you're doing yeah. you know like right. if literally there are no fucking haters then literally the only people who are paying attention are your close circle and then you're it doesn't work it, you're not popping off you know um so that didn't like fuck with me it's just like when it comes to doing my job like I, I watch out for the things that they say you know and it's like someone being like okay there's like a bunch of people saying like what are these guitar tones fucking why aren't there heavy ass tones blah 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 and then you I got a message well it wasn't a message it was a post from Nolly from uh, Periphery where he tagged me in it and he was just like Colin and Rick you know, while I love a good record that has a good left and a good right guitar for the whole record, you know, the guitars on this record just literally morph from part to part and they're fluid and they're changing and, you know, they're similar but dissimilar and bigger and, you know, I mean, we tried for all of that shit. Like, dude, we use fucking something like 50 or 60 amps on this. Like, I'm not, I mean, you have to actually think about how many amplifiers didn't i see you fucking with like an actual like you did the pickle trick on something was that this album or? yeah yeah i really like I they ran, were they were in it yeah <laughs> i ran I a whole song through a pickle you know um yeah right for I, people who don't know what that means that's a real like you put the signal through a pickle like not that's not like a term for a piece of audio equipment it is a fucking like you eat it pickle yeah and sylvia massey kind of made the trick famous um what i did was a little bit different than what she did but yeah definitely you know wires into a pickle <laughs> and a power amp um and <laughs> but like you know we we tried we really tried i mean we blew up probably more guitar amplifiers more speaker cabinets more microphones than people use i mean microphones but maybe not but you know more cabinets and more amplifiers than people use on a typical recording nowadays for sure you yeah, know right, absolutely right. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, Jeremy McKinnon, the vocalist for A Day to Remember, if you know, if anybody out there is living under a rock and doesn't know who that is, uh, he's metalcore Drake. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's like one of the greatest songwriters that has come from like the pop punk metal rock world in the last twenty years. I mean, what was it like working with him and getting to go along on that artistic journey? You know, that came along with this record. You know, it's weird. Um, it's hard making friends in your thirties. You know what yeah, I mean? I fucking heard that. And you end up making, you end up meeting people that you're just like homies with, you know? Um, but the dudes in the day to remember, you know, especially my relationships with Jeremy and Neil for sure and Alex. Um, I didn't spend as much time with Kevin or as much time with Josh, but I love those dudes very much, you know? Um, but. I get to, I've been back to Florida a few times. So like, I've got to hang out with those dudes 
a bunch because they all live close to each other in Florida. So, like, you know, um, it's just great. Like, I mean, I still talk to every single one of those guys, and um, I went to... I went down there to work Itis record, which is Max from, um, you know, a day to remember. He's the guitar tech for, for Jeremy or for Jeremy, for, uh, Neil and Josh. So, um, I mixed his record and, uh, I was down there and then that led into going to Alex's bachelor party. So we all went out to Tampa and hung out there and stuff. And, um, Josh, and Kevin came out for that, so I got to spend some more time with those dudes then. Like, I just, I really like those dudes. You know, they're they're actually really cool guys. And, you know, as I said, you don't get the chance or opportunity to make too many new friends in your 30s, you know. But um, I did with those dudes, and I'm very blessed for that, you know. Yeah. What's different about working with Jeremy than, like, other artists you worked with in the past? Because, like, like I said, like, I... I was, I still am a big A Day to Remember fan, but they were one of the bands in my younger years that I clung to, like, like very hard. Like, I've watched Jeremy over the years, as every fan has, just kind of evolve as this powerhouse of a songwriter. But, I mean, what's different, like, working with him rather than other artists you've worked with? Um, He's intense, but not intense at all. You know, he's like, he's very comforting. I'll say that. But if I could sum it up into one thing, and he gave me a copy of it. But, you know, he, um, he, uh, set up a photo when we started the record. And it was a photo, it was a photo of a piece of paper. And it was framed. And it said, this could be the last shit you ever work on in your life. You know? Right. And, um, I think it's, I think it's that, you know, like everything about it was a great time. We had a ton of safety meetings, which is, <laughs> I set up safety city over on the <laughs> other side of the building, which is where I'd go and hang out and do my thing. And, you know, I'd be in the middle of some shit and someone would come and be like, Hey, you trying to go have a safety meeting? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he, um, j- just, in particular, like, he's great. He didn't do a ton of vocal takes. One or two takes. You know, if he was going to sing the song, he sang the fucking song. Nice. You know? Um, and he was open to new ideas. He wanted to hear what people had to say. I feel like I was brought in... I wasn't brought in because, like, I'm the king of making fucking hard records by any means. You know, I have tried to keep my career and my, you know, discography pretty diverse. I'll, I work on tons of different kinds of music. You right, know, right. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, from jazz to this to hip-hop, I mean, it's 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 very diverse. It's, it's impressive. Yeah, I, I and I've always said this. Like, if, I, if I'm going to make a record, I just want to make a good record, you know? Sure. Um, and, yeah, he was just super talented and very very driven i feel like but also you know incredibly caring and warm and you know one of those things like jeremy's the sort of dude where if i find something profound on the internet you know i'll send the shit to jeremy you know because he'll turn it into a song (laughs) yeah right i mean i mean let's kind of 
rewind to the beginning here. I mean, how did you even get hooked up with this project in the first place? I mean, as you make records and have kind of built your name in the industry, I mean, a lot of this stuff just kind of comes, you know, uh, people hear about, you know, what you're doing and eventually you just end up just doing big project after big project after big project. And that's been your case for a number of years. But I mean, how specifically did you get hooked up working for this project? Um, Colin Britton, who produced the record, is a friend of mine and we share a manager. So um, this was the first time that we had really worked heavily in this sort of situation too. But me and Kelly have been working together for a while and he needed a record to go down to Florida or an engineer to go down to Florida to work on the record. And he called me and be like, would you be interested in doing it? And I was like, you know what, fuck yeah. And it's one of those things where we don't get to work together too often, but when we do, I feel like it's a pretty damn good team. And, you know, he still calls me like what I've gotten known for in a few circles, especially I think considering his circle is, you know, people really rely on me for getting sounds, you know? So even though I'm not in Los Angeles, I get a call at least once or twice a week where he's like, Hey man, I want it to sound like the bass guitar on this, or I want it to sound like the snare drum on that. What's going on? And then, right. you know, I'll help. So, yeah. I mean, so a topic that we've talked about often on this podcast like pretty much on every episode is is releasing music during the pandemic and we kind of talked about this at the beginning we were talking you know about a day to remember but originally this project was supposed to come out a long time ago before the pandemic i mean before we move on to the next topic talk a little bit about the anticipation that built over the long period of time that this record had to be pushed back because of the pandemic and everything like that i mean were you were you re- were you super ready for this record to be out and, and show the world like yo we worked on this really fucking hard I, I imagine it, the anticipation was probably killing you um no you know it definitely wasn't killing me by any means you know okay. they were taking their time with it I stopped working on this record a while ago so I've done a ton of shit between now right. and yep. when I personally stopped being involved in the record making progress of it so you know and don't get me wrong I was hearing updates and I was helping from the side and shit like that and you know um I remember when they did Last Chance with Will Putney down there, you know, Jeremy called me and asked me how I set up the 1073 for his vocal and shit like that, you know, so it's like, um, you know, I don't know if they use that, but (laughs) it's, you know, it was nice to get the phone call. Right. And, um, yeah. uh, Nice. Well, uh, super proud of you, man, for, for all your work on that album. Like we said, we enjoyed the shit out of it. All the fans enjoy the shit out of it. So fuck what the big critics say, you know. It's I mean, getting charts. It's getting listens. People are loving it. It's doing what it needs to do at the time it needs to do it. So be proud of it. I, think I you, am incredibly yeah. proud of it. Yeah. And, and I always said that, you know, there were way more people out there in the world who I think it were gonna was going to connect with when, than the people who it wasn't going to connect with. For know? sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. um... I'm very excited that it's out there in its entirety and it's getting heard and that the singles are being promoted in the way that I felt like they should have been from the beginning, you know, and don't get me wrong, resentment had a video, but now we got a video out there for everything we need. And that video is, I don't know if you've seen it, but, uh, makes my heart melt. Yeah, it's dope. It's really cool. In the Omaha scene, was it hard? Like, you know, getting your foothold in such like a clicky scene and like kind of, like you said, you kind of traded places with the guy, which I'm sure helped. But <laughs> but did you find it hard, like, navigating some of that clickiness in Omaha and, like, kind of finding your spot in the scene, um, even though you had all this, like, national attention all along? Like, I feel like a lot of people still don't really know 
make believe unless you're like in those circles. Well, it's weird, man. You know, um, like I haven't had national attention all along, yeah. you know, and when I first got here, it was one thing. And when I moved to Omaha, I had eight microphones and five mic stands. Like I didn't even have enough stands for all my mics. So like when I was recording drums, I'd tape mics to the walls and shit, you know? Um, but it just was what it was. I was trying to make the best records that I possibly could with what was in front of me, you know? And I've always done that. I don't, I'm not always in the opportunity to use make-believe, you know, even yeah. though I have all this stuff and I have access to it, you know. Um, sometimes I find myself in positions where, you know, I'm in the same position as a lot of other people. I've got a two-channel interface and my laptop and yeah. that's what I'm making a record with today, you know. But I feel like a lot of people get fucked up over that shit where it's like if I had this focus right scarlet and you know that was it i i could still record drums yeah. <laughs> you know like absolutely you know um where other people like they're like i don't have 16 channels <laughs> you know um so i've just always gotten by with what i could do and now that i have what i would consider the things that I need to make a record, and don't get me wrong, I always want more, I always want different shit, you know, um, I still try and work within a lot of limits, and like, you'll you'll hear people that have worked with me, it's like, I'll make records in all mono, I'll drums with five mics, you know, and people will come in here, and they're like, why well, don't, you know, I mean, I one of my favorites is like, I had a dude come in here, and like, I mixed his song, and like, I was just feeling it, I thought it sounded great, I was having a good time, and I finished the song, and I was like, yeah, I think it's done. And he's like, hold on, you only spent like an hour and a half on it. You don't think that it needs any more time than that? And I was like, no. And he looked at me, he's like, you didn't even try a flanger. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even try a flanger? Dude, I swear to God, bro, like, I, I'll never forget that shit. I'll never forget him looking at me and going, like... Were you supposed to? Well, it well it took me so far back, because, like, I, I finished the mix, felt like it was great, you know, I was feeling it, and he fucking looked at me, and he was like, it only took you an hour and a half? I was like, yeah, well, I feel like it feels good. And, like, what what could that guy say next, you know? <laughs> There's a million, a billion opportunities, you know? But he went with you didn't even try a flanger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've poured thousands upon thousands of dollars into your career. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I kind of just like to kind of talk about this for a minute. I mean, through buying equipment, employing people, educating people, you really have invested heavily into your career. I mean, do you feel some of that stress of being an entrepreneur lifting off your shoulders as you get older and find more consistent success? Or like, has the pi pandemic kind of like pushed financial troubles back onto your forefront as like a business. I mean, are you operating? Are you, uh, that's, that's like, that's been the thing for me, like as a promoter, like this last year, and I love getting other people's perspective. I mean, you don't have to like be like, yeah, we've lost X amount of money, but like, yeah, it's been fucking hard to like, to stay like afloat. And I'm just curious, like, you know, how you're kind of dealing with that, you know? Well, you know, um, things have changed you know, as time has progressed, a lot of the people that I initially was working with and hanging out with every day, you know, 10 years ago, making records here in Omaha, 
those people are parents and not living in the city anymore. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm the last of the Mohicans, you know, <laughs> standing here, you yeah. know. Um, and other days it's like I'm very proud of what I've accomplished. You know, I know moving forward what you just brought up is like where I'm at, you know. Um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn because some of the dudes that I've had the pleasure of working with have been, you know, educated themselves. Like me and Jeremy went to college together. But I also can't say that, you know, um, I haven't been able to teach some people some stuff and help, hopefully help some people get better or learn some new shit, you know, try and make better records. And, you know, I think moving forward, as far as Omaha goes, like, that's what it's really about. So, like, I'm trying to heavily invest my time into the younger generation of people and try and get them out there engineering some records and working on some shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you uh, started the brick and mortar in Omaha and, like, let alone a record store in Little Italy, but you guys took a shot at it and it's closed since, but have is this something you would do again or is a brick and mortar kind of in the back of mind now in, in terms of, like, business opportunities for you yeah it's definitely in the back of mind as far as you know um it's just like it's very hard to keep anything like that going and it's just not something i really want to do i'd rather run a recording studio and a fucking tight ass plug-in company you know more yeah, than I would rather for sure. run a record store in Omaha. But, you know, records are on the come up and people are buying them more and shit like that. Um, I'm happy that some people can be successful in it, but it's not really in my purview at this point. Yeah, and we don't want to make it sound like we're shitting on you for, for what you've done, you know, to make, it, to make it very clear, you know. I mean, you've taken some huge risks in business and social circles to get where you are today. And, you know, taking risks, sometimes you fail. And it's not like that was a failure. It's just uh, just a kind of a thing on the journey. But, I mean, do you – do you, do you, you? but, th- I mean, through those experiences and, you know, some of the things that may not have, like, panned out, were you able to learn and kind of refocus and reevaluate on things that were going well? I mean, you seem to have a really adaptive and, like, overcome attitude. Do you feel like, like that's a correct, like, characterization of, like, what your career has been like? Just, like – trying a couple different things and then like ultimately going all in on like one you know like recording in like the studio well you know i've always been a put it all on black sort of person you know but it's not to say that you know other things have completely died off you know make believe new media still exists and it's down the street and dan runs that he does a lot of work with a company called torchworks here in town and you know they're the people who are doing our plug-in development with us so it's like you know um things have definitely grown and at one point i would say that they were you know we were a bigger company we had more employees we had tons of shit going on but the pandemic definitely you know affected where we were at and now moving into it you know um i intend to operate business a little bit differently than i did before because of the large overhead and i've learned how to run you know, probably the leanest, meanest machine that I can. And it's not that we weren't lean before, you know. Um, But, yeah, you know, things are definitely changing. And I also feel like if I'm going to get the most out of 
what I can do with my career, I am going to be spending more time in Los Angeles, you know? So I've got to make sure that this place is in a position that there are people who know how to use it, but it's also friendly for them to use, you know? This studio was designed for me and Jeremy to operate together. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to say that we're better engineers than other people in town, but it's just unfamiliar for them to walk in here when they're not using it every day. So I'm trying to make it as literally simple as possible, probably moving forward. And, you know, I haven't figured out exactly how far I'm going to take that. You know, it's like, take take the console for example you know i love the console that i use like this one's not going anywhere because it's mine i use it no one else uses it (laughs) but the one in the other room for example you know um i love having that desk in there i think it sounds great i think it also looks great i think it looks like part of the room you know very make-believe in there with that nice ass api console in there but you know I've had in the past month at least three situations where I've had a young engineer who is from outside running a session in there that they booked and they were having issues getting signal and when I went in there the only problem was that they didn't push the fader up that said vocal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baby. Well, like you just mentioned young artists and young engineers out there. So what's some of your advice when specifically young artists, because we have a, a few musicians that listen, uh, are looking for a studio or looking for a producer for the first time? Like, what should they look for in a studio or engineer? Like people who know which fader to, to push, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I think, you know, and this is me being like, a crotchety dick who's been doing this for fucking years. Um, first things first. Figure out if you're one of the people who are going to try and engineer yourself and make records for yourself. Like, if that's the case, if you want to do that, do it. But I've seen great fucking artists, you know, come in here, make a record, watch me do it, say that they're going to engineer for themselves and then fucking go home, buy a bunch of gear and then never ever release another recording because they tried to figure out how to fucking engineer and then figured out that it's actually a 10-year fucking profession and they fucking, everything they do sounds like ass, you know? So it's like, if you're going to do that, like, great, go ahead, get on with it, you know? If not, then figure out what you need, you know? If you can record yourself but your shit sounds like ass, Find a mix engineer. Find a mastering engineer. If you want to work with someone who can, you know, take your recordings to a next level, maybe you need a recording engineer. You know, if you want someone who's going to help you work on your songs and try and make your songs better, you know, um, maybe you need a producer, you know. Figure out exactly what you're looking for and then try and find someone who can fill that role. And locally to be honest like everybody wears one goddamn hat you know everyone's like i'll fucking produce record mix suck and jerk off your band let's go (laughs) you know (laughs) um (laughs) and i can't say that i don't fall (laughs) into that hat where you know people come to me and it's like i'm at least blessed because i get to work with the wonderful keith rogers you know um 
Shout out Keith Rogers, man. I love that guy. Yeah, you know, we we work hand in hand every day. So like he's the recording engineer when I'm producing a record, you know? He's the recording engineer at the studio when someone hires him to be the recording engineer at the studio. And don't get me wrong, there's certain people who hire other engineers. We got a cat named Justice who works up here. We got a cat named Devin who's working out of here. And, you know, there's a cat named AB who's been doing some sessions out of here. And we've got some people who come up here and engineer themselves, you know? So, um, it's, uh, it's really about, like, trying to figure out what you want out of your record and then finding the best person to help you with it and like you know there's certain dudes who are going like they're your record like whatever you do like whatever you give them it's just gonna end up being them you know it's gonna sound like them they're gonna rewrite it they'll play all the guitars on it you know they'll fucking program everything it'll be them you know i'm not that sort of producer I try and look at myself as like a coffee strainer for people's bullshit. You know, yeah, if right. so- if something is bad, I've got no problem saying that I don't like it, you know, and fighting for what I believe in. And on the other side of it is I like to make things sound good. So, you know, if people are trying to get a better sound, I usually can help with that so there's certain artists you know who have a very defined vision of what they're doing and they just need someone to be like hey that kind of sucks don't do that anymore awesome let's get a great fucking bass tone you know and like those are the people like we make great records very easily together you know other people you know they hire they say they want a producer and then you're like hey man I don't think that should be the chorus. I don't really like it. And they're like, fuck you. I you know, wrote the song about this girl I was in love with in seventh grade and you fucking dissed her memory and she fucking married to a goddamn dentist now and she's a fucking, you know, do you hate dentistry? Like, what the fuck, man? You know, it's just like... <laughs> that was really oh specific. <laughs> Dude, you've got some great analogies, Rick. That's what I love about you. Right. <laughs> The coffee analogy you just pulled out was, was yeah, really fantastic. I'm using that going forward. <laughs> what? Coffee strainer for people's bullshit. That was that was great. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't I even. Yeah. yeah, it mm-hmm. just flowed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Rick, it's it's been it's been fun having you on the pod, man. Thanks a lot for for taking the time to chat with us and kind of breaking down. I I feel like I, I feel like we've been friends for a long we've been friends for a long time, but I feel like I learned I feel like I, I learned a good deal about you today. But I want to end on some quick hitter questions before we take off here. So just give us some short answers for some of these questions just to kind of get a more full view of who Rick is. But what's, I mean, personally, favorite project you've ever worked on? Oh, I mean. Got to pick one. I can tell you. You you, can pick two. I can tell you the favorite, my most favorite recording I've ever done. All right, do it. I did a recording of Sam Air from Sam Air and the Love Affair before I ever moved to Omaha. And I was in my uncle's basement in fucking Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And he's saying, don't think twice, it's all right, from Bob Dylan. And uh, um, I, uh, <laughs> I had him sing that song. And uh, at the end of it, you can hear my grandma go, oh, that's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yes. And... Um, yeah, I really like that recording. Yeah. 
Do you have a proudest career moment today outside of just recording? Um, yeah, you know, uh, the the second round of Grammy nominations when we got nominated for Layla's Wisdom or um with uh Rhapsody, you know, that was uh, a big one for me as far as pride goes. I was just like, you know, the first one could have been a fluke, but then it happens again and you're just like, holy shit, people listen to these. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um that was a big one for me. Yeah. Oh, and what are you currently listening to? We ask everybody on the pod that, that comes on, like what they're listening to. I always, I think it's, it's so cool to get everybody's perspective and like what kind of music they like. But from your perspective, it's going to be even, I think it's going to be even more rich just to hear what you're listening to because I've never, I don't think we've ever, I mean, besides like what you've been recording and like, you have a very diverse catalog of music that you worked on. So I'm just so curious of like what you listen to in your free time. What does a whore not do on her day off? You don't listen to music then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, at this point, you, they say that most people like find the music that they love by the time that they're in their you know mid-20s, you know, that your formative yeah. years are your teenage years. And don't get me wrong, um, I think that they're absolutely fucking correct. And I'm always discovering new music, but it's like, I love Paul Simon, I love Bob Dylan, I love Blink-182, you know, the same way that I've always loved those dudes. And there's people who, like, come into, like, what I would consider that category of forever shit. Kendrick Lamar and some of Terrace's work. And, like, there's some records that are, like, you know, the work that I've done with Jay Prince. Like, they go into this category of, like, okay, that's fucking tight, you know. But um, moving, for, like, in, you know, a day to remember and shit like that. But it's one of those things, like, when it comes to, like, new music that's, like, constantly coming out... I listen the way that I would consider, like, you know, a probably, like, 25-year-old, you know, Midwesterner would listen to. If I'm in the car, I hear something on the radio, I listen to it. If I like it, turn it up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And then outside of that, like, I don't really go too far outside of, like, I'm not the sort of dude who, like, every week listens to the top 40 or something like, like that. Like the new Music Friday playlist yeah, or whatever, you know, yeah. Um, if I hear something that's going on and, like, other people are talking about it, like, I'll definitely go check it out and go out of my way to check it out. If an artist that I think defines their genre releases something, I'll go check it out for sure. Anytime Slipknot puts out a new record, gotta go hear that motherfucker, you know? Dude, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even like Slipknot, and I, I think the exact same way. I've listened to every single one of their records that they put it out. Like, I, I'm with you. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, it's the same thing. If NSYNC released a record right now, it's like, I'd go... It'd be spinning, it'd be spinning like, immediately upon a re- release. Ex- like, ex- exactly. So, like, you know, um, and then, you know, I, uh, I follow producers like people follow college books football coaches i guess you know anytime that sure. they've got something new coming out i'm trying to check it out and make sure that you know at least the single i've heard and then there's like people who come in and it's like don't get me wrong like i think she's super talented i think her songs are great i don't like go out of my way to listen to billy eilish you know but if billy eilish is releasing a goddamn song 
gonna listen to it you know see what the like biggest artist is doing kind of vibe like well, see what's going on well no i mean at that point it's like those things are tastemakers so like if billy yeah. eilish releases a new song and it's got a dope bass sound like i'm gonna be getting that bass sound for people right. for like the next three and a half months you yeah. know right so um well if you don't listen to you know go out of your way to listen to anything what is passing through your studio that you know we should be looking out for anything that you that has stuck out you know that you've worked on yeah, I mean, um, I just did a record that he actually called me right at the top of this, uh, a record for a kid in Sioux City named Jack Osborne. And, dude, that record is super cool. It's somewhere between, like, um, you know, Vampire Weekend and hmm. Paul Simon, you know? Um, it's different. It's It's nice. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, two part question here because you split a lot of your time in LA. But okay, favorite Omaha food spot and then favorite LA food spot. Oh shit! Two hard questions because both have a lot of great food. I mean, I only get to go to one in each. Yep, only one. You got to It's got to be your favorite. Rice bowl in Omaha. And- oh my guy, yes. You, you are one of the only people that I've ever met that like actually likes Rice Bowl. I know there's a lot of people out there that do, but I just don't know them. So everybody everybody I know says Three Happiness. I fucking hate Dude, that. You, Three's Happiness is good. Don't get me wrong. I know it's an Omaha staple, but unless you like your fucking chicken swimming in bullshit-ass sauce, you need to go hit up that Rice Bowl. In, in MSG? I mean, you'll get MSG. You'll get like, MSG at the Rice Bowl, too. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, but it's mean, not, there's not swimming in it. Dude, it's... I mean, every time I've gone to Three's Happiness, it's like... A fucking pool of sauce. I, yeah. I can't do it. Um, yeah, it doesn't work for me. But all right, so, LA, uh, amazing tie. Yeah, in North Hollywood. Oh, dude, I actually I saw a bunch of people on my timeline yesterday that went to Monty's Good Burger, and that sounds really good. I, Tommy, we got that when we were there, didn't we? Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, just, no. Just dreaming, just dreaming about food now. No, no worries. Yeah, I haven't eaten lunch, man. You always ask a food question at the end. It always <laughs> makes me fucking hungry. Dude, I always ask about food because I fucking like food. Oh, we all <laughs> love food. I, yeah, I know. I like talking about food. I think I'm about to go get an El Rey burrito. Like that's. Ugh. Yeah, that's your saying? fucking. Ugh. That's like right up the street from oh, like yes. where you're at. I think. That's why I'm like. Anyway. Uh, anyway. The radar. <laughs> all right, last question. If you weren't doing music, what the fuck do you think you would be doing? Oh, shit. A question that many of us road dogs have had to... Yeah, right. <laughs> post post to ourselves this year. <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta preface this question with another question. Okay. Is this, if I wasn't doing music now, at this point in my life, after the things that I know and where I've ended up, or if I didn't do music at all in the first place? Had you not dropped out of high school? What's, no, 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 fuck that. Let's do both. I want to hear both answers. Um, shit. If, you know, I probably would have been an attorney if I just, like, went about life in a normal fashion and didn't get sucked into the music industry. Pretty damn good at arguing with people. Like, fuck yeah. Good enough that at a young age, I was like, <laughs> like, I, I was like who gets paid for arguing with people? I'm gonna do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh. Dude, I'll tell you guys, when I, when I say that, it makes me think of one of my favorite arguments, bro. You guys want to hear one of my favorite fucking arguments? Yeah. <laughs> um. So my buddy drove his grandfather's fucking Cadillac. He, it was one of those, like, uh, boxy-looking ones that had a V12 in it, you know? Like a DeVille? 
No, no, like a CTS or whatever uh, they're called. Okay, like, yeah, okay, the fancy yeah. ass looking ones. He drove it to school and he parked it in the faculty parking lot and got caught <laughs> when we were in school. And um, he, he got pulled into the principal's office and he like was driving without a license and all this shit. And they were like, you know, um, we know that you did this. We could either let you take the car home um or we could get the cops involved and you know we're gonna have you serve like you know fucking like weekend suspension and coming and clean the school like all this shit and stuff and we won't won't tell your parents and uh i was like yo isn't that blackmail and he was like hold on (laughs) 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 and and they they let him off of that shit and i was like hold maybe maybe i should you went in and like represented your friend (laughs) well no i didn't even represent he just he just told me the story like came back to lunch and he's like dude they caught me driving my grandpa's car i'm fucking all fucked i gotta come to fucking you know i gotta come to fucking um suspend or i gotta come in on the weekends and clean the goddamn school for like the next eight weeks blah 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 and i was like did they tell your parents? He's like, no, they said they wouldn't tell my parents if I agreed to do that. I was like, blackmail. <laughs> Child laser. Blackmail. <laughs> a lot of things are wrong with that one. That's hilarious. But, uh, oh, fuck. Yeah, I probably would have been an attorney. If I leave now, you know, I would probably just trade stocks all day. Um, fuck yeah. But uh, I don't know. Did Did you get in on the meme stocks recently? Bro, it sounds like you did. I've been. I've owned goddamn game stocks since... I don't know, January 1st, like a month before all that shit popped off. You know? Oh, God, dude, why didn't you say something to me, man? I could have... I said something... My... I said, you gotta come hang out more. I said something to everybody, and nobody bought any except for me, and I'm up, like, 500%. Jeez. Good Lord. I love it. That's that's so sick. <laughs> like, like, um, I, I tried. I tried to get into doing... Like trading, like day trading. I just, I'm not smart enough. Like I, I need to like build like more basic knowledge before I put any more money into it. Like I accidentally, I accidentally bought like, I bought AMC at like its peak when I thought it was going to keep going. So I bought it like 16 or 17 a share and I, I've lost obviously, you know, cause it's gone down. But like, if it goes back up, like I'm going to be, if it gets up past 20, I'm selling it. <laughs> I, bought, I bought a lot of it. So see, and that's the thing is like, for me, I would say that AMC was a distraction and a shill stock from the beginning that they used to divert people off of GME. It was the first one. And like, everyone's yeah. like, Oh, they silver is a fucking distraction. AMC was the first distraction, my friend. So yeah. Um, yeah. they're just so embedded now that it's been going on for so long that they think that, you know, AMC is actually part of what's fucking happening. But, you know, dude, no, they and a perfect example of that is Monday. You saw it. AMC fucking shot up over like 30 percent. And the reason. Yeah, it was up big. The reason why they did that is because they were trying to get people to FOMO. So they were trying to get people to fucking take their money out of GameStop, their earnings, put it into AMC, and then they would make money in AMC, but, you know, they could go and then start buying shares for cheaper price and push the stock down. And then what ended up happening is, like, fucking they just bootied out goddamn AMC first thing on Tuesday, and all those people got stuck holding the bag again on AMC stock. So. Yep. Yep. That's that's currently what see I yeah you're you're totally right that's where I'm at so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun stuff all right well Rick thanks again man it's like I said it was really nice to sit down and chat and learn more about you know learn more about you since we've been friends for so long I feel like I like I said I've learned a ton about you today so I appreciate the time and um, yeah man it's been it's been a blast kind of 
hearing your perspective on not only, you know, what I was most interested in, you know, the day to remember album, but just like I said, learning, learning a lot about Rick Carson, Tom, any final thoughts? The same. I learned a lot of fun, fun, new things. High school dropout, Rick Carson. It's been great uh, getting to know you a little bit better and catching up at the same time. Yeah. Fuck school. So there's that fuck school make records i think you need to make a bumper sticker well, you know it's just one of those things where i can't even say fuck school like i believe in school everybody. yeah if it's what suits you. i just went to school for the thing that i wanted to school about so you know yeah, you didn't yeah, drop sure. out to not do anything you dropped yeah. out to go to more school so Sad for sure well visit us on social media guys left off pod on twitter and then you can just search us on facebook at the where we left off podcast come interact with us and get all of the good knowledge the day the episode drops will be i i watch them all the time so if you want to come and and tell us who we should be interviewing or fucking tell us that we suck ass at doing this come like us on socials get it but until next time Have a great week, and we will see you hopefully in a week here. And that's our show. If you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe to our pages. You can find us on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as Spotify. You can also find us on social media, too, at LeftOffPod on Twitter. And just simply search our name on Facebook or Instagram, the Where We Left Off Podcast. See you next time.